everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Wednesday, June 24th, and this is episode 24 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Masaki. What's up, Josh? Things are good. How are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. And Skipper Ben, how you doing? Hey, Tim, can you just go back like a minute into this recording and get the baseball joke that I threw out there and uh, asking Josh about the 60-game baseball season? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. If it's not 69 <laughs> games, I don't care. Damn! <laughs> That didn't have the awkward silence in it, so it works. True. <laughs> uh, so we are back. A few weeks ago, we discussed the reopening of the parks, and that is still the topic du jour. Uh, that is uh, the soup of the day. Mm, that <laughs> sounds pro- good. I'll have that. <laughs> we are approaching the park reopening uh, July 11th for uh, the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, and July 15th for Epcot and Hollywood Studios. Uh, the, the system crashed yesterday when they opened the reservation system. Uh, again, what else is new? Uh, Universal has an outbreak of coronavirus uh, around all of the Harry Potter attractions. Apparently, the magic wands cannot help that. And uh, Disney Springs isn't looking too great either with uh, cast members failing the temperature checks as well. So perhaps uh, Disney's original approach was... Uh, they were thinking August, apparently, and it might still happen that way. Um, we're getting a lot of questions uh, from our listeners, one of which was, do, do the parks reopen on the days that were stated? Do you guys have any thoughts related to that? Why don't we kick it off there? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, at this point, I would say that they probably will, um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if that doesn't actually happen. I, I mean, it's basically trying to make a decision sort of in the absence of any real data, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Florida itself is not doing particularly great in terms of infection rate, uh, assuming that, you know, the information in the media is correct, um, which, you know, I don't have any information to the contrary. So certainly it's got to be a, a concern that Disney has because the last thing that they want to do is have a news cycle where, you know, a substantial number of people who go to the parks are in the news for having contracted this thing. So Right, right. They um, don't want that. But on the other hand... I was just stating the obvious there. They don't no, want that. No, yeah, no. But I mean, on the other hand, that until there's a vaccine, and in fact, until this thing is eradicated, um, just the nature of being in a theme park so close to other people is probably going to result in that. It's just a question of what the magnitude is going to be. So, you know, right. they can't stay closed forever. Um, so I guess the question, the question is not, is this, is there going to be any negative consequences for doing it? The question is, can they, can they actually wait long enough to where it does it, does waiting is waiting justified by the reduction in cases that might happen? And I certainly don't know the answer to that. Well, I have some breaking news for you. Go for um, it. Is it baseball related? It's not baseball related. That joke is in the trash. Uh, thanks Josh. We'll That's make it the show close. You're welcome. Um, uh, I have booked a trip for Florida for the middle dun, of September. Dun, dun. So oh, based sorry. on my track record of the next last yeah, three they're months, close. they're, they're not going to open. I changed they're my not going to be open. <laughs> yep. So, uh, late September, uh, uh, actually, yeah, we did, we did book, uh, some weekends in September and one in California in late October. Uh, not because we're just dying to get out there, which we are, but, but this is more to do with our, might, s- might live to regret those words. Or <laughs> will you? Can we start the podcast all over? You got, <laughs> you got a redo. Can I get a redo? Um, <laughs> Uh, now this has to do with our summer trip that was canceled and uh, uh, that was booked on our DVC points and Disney not letting banked points carry over past the end of uh, uh, your use year. So we have to put some trips on the books 
uh, by the end of November. Otherwise, we lose those points. So we did put some uh, reservations in before all the inventory was gone for the middle of September and uh, late October for California with hopes that we could hopefully get out there if things are safe. And honestly, I, I, I do think they're going to try to get the parks open as soon as possible. But what the success uh, of that might be, I don't know. The, the infection rates in Florida are alarming and don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. And having people, you know, travel to that area and come in and, and travel the parks like, like we're used to, I, I just don't, I don't see any good coming from this anytime soon. Uh, and like Josh said, they got to open it sometime. They, they right. have to, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning that towards that this is, this is too soon. So we were saying that we thought August made sense. Disney, that was, that was the report out of Disney uh, unofficially that they were planning on August and then Universal uh, opened in early June. By all accounts, Universal is having uh, issues with sanitation. Uh, I've heard from Universal team members that they're not doing enough. But I've also heard the counter argument of people that just love being in a theme park again. And that's why we're doing this show. We, we love these things. And uh, I was uh, unfortunately actually down in Florida last week for a funeral. And as part of the familial kind of taking your mind off things, we did go over to Disney Springs. It felt really good to be there. Um, yes, we were wearing masks. Yes, it was 95 degrees. But it felt really good to be walking around. Not, not a theme park, but a, a Disney area. This is something that we that everybody in the family enjoyed, uh, and it it felt good. And uh, I think it was probably cleaner and safer than any of the other public venues that I have gone to during this pandemic. I'm speaking primarily about like supermarkets and things like that. But I, I felt safer there than I would even going to my local supermarket. But that doesn't mean that because they're doing temperature checks because they're sanitizing things that the areas are exempt from this pandemic. It is, it is the reality that we live in. And, uh, the, the gist of all of this is at what point is the risk of getting coronavirus, uh, counterweighted by the reward of enjoying a theme park. And that's for so many people, just a decision you have to make. And I think for a lot of people, that decision is going to be made not, uh, consistent with whatever Disney's timeline is. For Ben, it was September. My family and I were talking late fall at the earliest, probably next year. So um, not passing a judgment on Ben. I think it's just the reality of uh, some things. If, if you didn't have those points, you might not have booked that uh, as early as you did. So, yes, yeah, screw you. But I also <laughs> think that we would look at a month of of just data of people coming out of the parks after uh, the hopeful July 15th opening and seeing, all right, well, yes, there are a handful of cases, but they're doing a pretty good job of keeping it isolated and people aren't feeling unsafe there. And it's no worse than again, going to a supermarket, going to, you know, any other public area. I, I did make the joke a second ago. Uh, but you know, you are talking to somebody though, who has canceled two trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted the parks weren't open, <laughs> so that helps. Yeah. But, I already canceled two, and I won't hesitate to cancel again if I feel that it's not safe to go, even though the parks might be open. Right, uh, right. But at the same time, you know what you're talking about, how good it felt. There's a there's a level of the mental health. Uh, oh, absolutely. Of the fans, and you know, I'm 
I'm guilty of it myself. Yes, I, I love Disney World. I also love to gamble. I like going to casinos, and I did that last night. Uh, there's a there's a casino north here of Dallas. That's and how uh, did that feel, Ben? It felt good. <laughs> it, it did. Is, it the, is uh, it the only time you feel truly alive? It is. It is. Uh, but I would seems fun. This is one of those deals where Show they title gave, is Intervention. In, they, intervention. Uh, huh? Intervention. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> they, the gang uh, has an intervention for Ben. They did entice me to go up there. I had a free room. I had a uh, you know a lot of free money to play with. I had free meals. Uh, but I also I booked it and, and told I'm by myself right now, so no wife, no no kids, nobody else going up there. Uh, but I told my wife I was like, if I get up there and I step through that door and I feel like things are not safe. I'm getting in my car and driving right back home. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I get there, and yes, they had the temperature scans at every single door that you went through. Oh, wow. Uh, They had – and at every single door, I found this very interesting. They had digital monitors that kept track of the occupancy levels of the casino floor. And the max capacity was 50%. That they would allow in the on the casino floor at that time, but it kept a real time tracker of how much of that floor was actually occupied based on people going in, and it never was more than fourteen okay. percent. So, and this is the world's largest casino. The, the 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 casino floor is absolutely massive, and they took out chairs, and they also put machines in where the uh, conference rooms are and the concert venue. So they did as well as they could to spread the machines out as, as much as possible. I stayed away from people the entire time. It, there, I, I did not have to be near anybody at all uh, based on how they had things set up and based on how they kept it strict on the uh, occupancy levels in there. But the other thing that I really liked is anytime you're in any public space whatsoever, you had to have a mask on. Mm-hmm. And this being a casino and not Disney, the employees there, if anybody saw anybody with their mask, you know you know how you see it where they pull it down over their chin sure. or whatever, or took it off for any reasons, they were not shy about telling you to put your mask on, which I really appreciated. Good. I, I Good. did like that. You, you didn't have to rely on the get, you know, the guests looking at, and we've all talked about that. You're like, what happens when you're in the park and you see a, another family without their mask on, you know, and you don't feel safe with it or, or a cast member is going to say something. The way they had it up there, you know, you did not have to police yourselves. Uh, the, the, the people walking around the security, they would tell you, get your mask on or you have to leave. Uh, so I enjoyed it. I felt safe. And like you, I, I was back in like a happy place that I hadn't been in in three months. And that was all for my own, you know, kind of mental uh, health and Disney is that same way for all of us. If we're if we're hosting a podcast like this, or you're listening to a podcast, Disney is a, uh, a stress reliever. It's a happy place. It's a place where we can all just kind of reset our minds. and And I think we're all wanting to do that as soon as possible in any right. way, shape, or form. So Absolutely. Hopefully, that's sooner rather than later. And I'm I'm glad you enjoyed yourself there uh, at Disney Springs. And yes, I it's funny. I've had that talk with our girls. You know if. It's, it's the hypothetical questions as we're sitting around the house during the quarantine. It's like, if you could go and have one meal, what would mm-hmm. it be? And we would all throw it out there. And, and even having those talks puts us in that happy place mentally. Um, so we're all just – we're all dying to get back out there at some, some time. But it's got to be the right time and it's got to be the right level of safety. And, 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 you know, we all have to make our own decisions on that. People that have listened to me uh, do trip reports over the last 10 years of my podcasting oh, Jesus. Uh, have, have known that they are quite long-winded. So this, this is my uh, abridged Disney trip report. Have you been to Japan? I have been, actually, and I got commended on that uh, podcast uh, very recently, actually. Anyway, 
And those are the only ones that I listen to. I put my head in the sand for all the other criticisms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did go over to Disney Springs. Um, I should say, so uh, uh, pay, pay my respects to my uncle. The, uh, the funeral was for him. Um, and I... After thinking about it, the last time that I spent with him was walking around Food and Wine Festival last October. So that's very much on brand for him and for the rest of our family. Uh, so I, I do have my, my final memory with him uh, in person is was quite positive. But uh, we went over to Disney Springs and I think there were 12 of us walking around hitting a lot of the shops. I'd say if there was... 10 to 15 percent uh, of the people that are normally at Disney Springs, I'd be surprised. It was it was very sparsely uh, attended. The only store that I saw with a wait was the Marvel store, which might have had 21. Like, yeah, Forever 21. Um, <laughs> the the, the Marvel store had like four people outside of it. The interesting thing was that Goofy's Candy Company and Art of Disney had opened the week before, but were closed because cast members failed their temperature screenings. And that was the official word that I was given, which means that there might have been more to it than just that. Um, because as we've discussed on here, the temperature screenings aren't uh, the, the, the there are things that can be faked with some Tylenol. So um, we we ate at T-Rex. uh, uh not necessarily my first choice there. Say, well, but, there's your problem. Well, you know what? T-Rex, and I think T-Rex and Rainforest Cafe, they do get a bad rap, but there are better restaurants there. But this is also what can cater to 12 people, including uh, an age range of 4 to 72. So It's quite an age range. M- M- Morimoto Asia probably wasn't going to be on the uh, the docket and Homecoming open the next day. So um, I, was, I was very pleased with uh, the sandwich that I had at T-Rex until uh, less than 24 hours later. Uh, we see a news article that says a cast member at T-Rex tested positive, um, but that cast member was not there when we were there. Uh, I guess sure, they, had, sure. uh, they had stopped, <laughs> uh, stopped working after they were working for several weeks without telling anybody that they were feeling symptoms. The mashed potatoes he stuck his dick in were probably still there, though. <laughs> Yeah, probably, probably. But uh, I have since been tested, as uh, Josh described, I think, in the last episode of the episode prior to it. It is a very unpleasant feeling, uh, but I am fine, as is everybody in my family. But uh, to the to the greater point, walking around Disney Springs after not being able to do anything, any of our quote-unquote happy places just have not been options uh, for the last several months. It did feel really good to do that. Um, we, we drove over to Epcot. Surprisingly, the ramp wasn't blocked off. They had somebody at security. Um, and I just pointedly told her, we're curious. We don't know what's going on. We, we know that it's closed, but we wanted to see it. Um, and they just let us kind of like slowly drive past the, uh, uh, the parking lot and take a look at the giant Guardians building and Spaceship Earth. And I imagine that they probably get, you know, a couple hundred people doing that a day, but, um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do miss it. Our family is talking about whenever our next trip is going to be. And like like Ben and his family, I think that just even having those discussions uh, does feel good. And it's it's why we continue to do these shows. We continue to uh, to discuss these uh, these topics because it is thing. It are I'm failing to speak English. Uh, it, Disney in general makes us happy, and it is a mental health thing. If you anything that is close to normal uh life anything you can bring up that that, uh, brings you back to that point is good so uh yeah that's what i got yeah i mean there's sort of a weird thing that's gone on that that most 
this is going to sound sort of absurd when I say it, but most people don't have Corona and most people won't get Corona. So, but we've all experienced the transformation in society that, that has flowed from Corona. So, you know, it's weird. Like I'm sure those people who infect, who are infected by it, their, you know, big moment in life is when they recover. Right. And I totally get that. But for us who haven't actually experienced it, particularly we don't even know anyone has experienced it for us, just doing what might ordinarily be a mundane activity is the closest thing we get to a sort of uh, experience that feels normal again. So I I don't, and I'm I'm sure people out there who have suffered from this or God forbid lost someone they care about, it might sound very vain for us to to care. Uh, and, And I'm not trying to be insensitive about it, but at the same time, you know, we all do have to sort of, the world has to figure out a way Uh, either we're just going to crater in on ourselves and this is it. And we had a good run or we're going to have to go back out there and, and restart things. And uh, you know, that's sort of the phase that we're in now and hopefully we won't hose it too bad. But um, (laughs) I don't, I don't think we need to feel guilty uh, about going back to enjoying the things that we, that we care about. So, you know, I would encourage other people to feel, you know, be careful, use good judgment, but you know, uh, yeah, we, we were fortunate to live uh, in the country that we live in and there's a lot of great things that we've typically probably taken for granted that maybe now we appreciate more because they haven't been available for the first time ever. The, uh, the last week has brought out some more news about how things are going to work. The resorts reopened this week. Uh, the DVC resorts, they opened on the 22nd of June. Additional resorts are going to have a staggered reopening with a handful still uh, with no announced reopening date. Uh, I think most notably was Art of Animation. Not Art of Animation. Uh, the uh, the All-Stars, rather. Um, and some of those are because they're a little bit more secluded. Uh, I think because they are restricting park attendance, um, the need to open all resorts is a little bit moot. They don't want to have all the resorts full, but can't have people going to the parks. And uh, Hollywood Studios it has already reached capacity for July 15th and 16th, the first two days of this opening. I don't know if that means just for people that were able to make reservations uh, beginning the 22nd and additional spots will open up when annual pass holders and other ticket holders are able to, uh, to book it. But either way, Hollywood studios filled up before any of the other parks. And yes, it's smaller, but it also has significant demand with both rise of the resistance and Mickey and Minnie's opening uh, fairly recently. Disney resorts in the absence of parks is an interesting thing to think about for me because, uh, you know, in reality, if you, if you just look at the hotel experience that they offer, they're pretty much deficient compared to any other high end resort that you would pay a similar amount of money for anywhere in the country for the most part, you know, the, the parks are really what make that value proposition make sense. Um, you know, maybe the poly and the contemporary excluded, but still, you know, when you look at what you're paying, supports your say the price point supports your statement though yeah exactly so uh, you know that's it i i'm sure there's still a you know a segment of the population for whom spending that kind of money to go there without the park still is a choice they would make but um even when i go there now i'd much rather stay at bonnet creek um, because Mm -hmm. for a fraction of the money you can quite frankly stay in a much nicer hotel that is still a stone's throw away from the park so it's it's like just being on property quote unquote is that still a desirable thing when those parks are closed? Like to me, I, I don't think it would be. And I'm trying to put myself in, you know, 10 year old me shoes. <laughs> I think it'd be torture. You know, yep. you're, you're so close, but you can't experience it. That, that to me is not a, that's sort of a, I, I, I can't imagine the customer satisfaction from that is going to be super high. 
and 40-year-old me, that's torture based on the uh, credit card <laughs> bill. <laughs> right, right. And you can probably speak to this, though, because you have uh, uh, your kids are the right age where oftentimes I hear that children want to spend more time at the hotel pool than going into the parks. So I don't know if you've ever had a trip like that or if your girls are conditioned <laughs> to uh, to go, uh, you know, opening till closing at the parks. I don't know what your yeah, uh, yeah. what the Rebstock family touring is. They, they've never once asked, hey, can we go back to the resort pool? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd say okay. you get a paternity <laughs> test if your kid says shit like that. Okay, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. I don't, even, I don't even tell them the, the hotel has a pool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mean the bathtub and the shit? Yeah. <laughs> That's what you got. The pool is um, for suckers. I, I've I've never understood that. You know, people who spend a ton of time at the pool at a Disney resort. I guess I guess if you're from a place that doesn't have pools, maybe yeah, that would I, make sense. But I, I, I never, I still don't get it to this day. I was gonna say I, I live in Texas, and there are pools everywhere. If you don't have yeah. one in your backyard, you know a handful of people that do. Or there's public yeah. pools, and in the summer. You get to those pools as, as often as possible, so it's not special. Uh, yeah, now I, I, I do. There is one exception, and this is more when I was a kid. My my girls have not stayed here yet, uh, so they they don't get to make this claim. But I do know as a kid, uh, whenever we'd stay at Yacht and Beach Club, yeah, uh, Storm, Stormalong Bay was that's awesome, a water but park. It's a water park, exactly. <laughs> it's it's not a pool, so uh, that I think that's the only exception where that that we would ever make uh, to spend spend time at the pool away from the park. But yeah, uh, the way it's set up right now, just like Josh said, there's especially at the prices they're charging. There's so many better places that you could go to and get so much more, uh, you know, for your, for your dollar, uh, that you're spending than a Disney resort without the parks. Uh, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. There were some other things that came out. Um, one that I think people are, are condemning, but the reality is this is probably closer to what we were all rooting for at the outset, uh, that no more complimentary magic bands are going to be given out to uh, people that are staying on uh, at Disney resorts beginning in 2021. Um, the indication there, the implication there rather being that your smartphones and presumably smart watches will be able to accomplish the exact same thing. I, I, I don't know that yeah. I was rooting for that. I don't. My issue with that whole system is not really the band itself. It's no, everything surrounding it. That's absolutely fair. But I think that so many people were asking the question, why do I have to have this additional device when I yeah. have a phone that is more than capable of performing the same task? So, well, we, we touched on this last episode. Is this step one in resetting that whole, you know, I gotta error? So. And it's, it's a lot more to it than just the simplicity you know, simple answer of, Hey, we're not, we're not sending you magic bands anymore. This is, right. this is step one of a whole revamp of all that stuff. And then resetting, like we talked about the people who put that together, aren't there anymore. Uh, so correcting yeah. whatever errors that they feel, you know, the people in power now feel like there might be with that system. Um, the, this is the, step, this is step one. The funny thing is like, I don't know how much cost savings there is there, but, um, when I went there on my honeymoon with Heather and I went there and um, you know, we were annual pass holders. So we had bands for that. Then we booked a room at the contemporary. So we got bands yeah, for that. Bands then for we that. checked in, they gave us bands for that. I well, think at one point, you know, and she likes the colors she likes and I like the colors I like. So at one point we had probably four each, none of which was a superset of all of them. They all right. did different things. So if you yeah. want to get in the hotel room, use this gray one. Cause that's me exciting gray, uh, you know, to go in the parks, <laughs> it's this one, I, you know, and it's just, it was a horrendous experience because of how many bands there were. Now that see if they've whittled that down to zero now. So yeah, I guess that's yeah. a, I guess I take back my other words. Maybe I was rooting for this to some degree. 
the, the bands themselves might not cost them much, but just the shipping alone yeah, that they the have to be saving. Uh, and the box, I mean, they came in a really nice the, box and everything. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was kind of neat to have, for the same reasons where I mean, Tim made a comment earlier that, you know, it feels good just to talk about planning yeah. a vacation. And, you know, I grew up in Florida. I drove to the park all the time. So I drive there after work sometimes. Um, you know, so it wasn't the, it wasn't the sort of, you know, few times in a lifetime experience for me than it was for some people. But I specifically remember when that box came, it, it was cool. It was just like we had a little bit of our vacation was sitting there on the counter, which was a, a nice, you know, tangible expression of the fun that we were going to go have. So I do think that they will take a hit on that. And it, it's sort of a bummer because what we're left with is the downside, which is the, the lack of spontaneity, the requirement for planning, the complication in doing that, particularly in an uncertain time where what's even available is you know up in the air and unclear. Um, it was nice to have some of that offset by the fact that, well, at least I got this thing here I can touch that's part of my yeah. vacation. So I, I hope we don't end up with you know losing sort of the upside and still being stuck with the downside. But now is probably, I think that we have as much clue as where that program is headed as anyone in the company does at this point. I have to imagine yeah. that everything is on the table right now. I think that the the possibility does exist, and and Jim Hill uh, phrased it right. This is kind of the heroin approach, where you hook them with something uh, something for free, and then you start charging for uh, for it after you get the taste. Uh, it's entirely possible that they keep everything exactly the same when all is said and done. But now they charge you, you know, twelve bucks for your magic band, and they use that as a uh, as another revenue stream. But uh, that's pure speculation at this point. The other things that we do know is that when the parks reopen, they will reopen without a single rider line, without Fast Pass Plus or virtual queues, which uh, the last part is a little bit interesting. Fast Pass Plus and single rider lines, I understand, given reduced crowds, but the virtual queue, especially at Rise of the Resistance, seems a little bit, uh, a little bit confusing. But I think perhaps they are weighing the fact that they're restricting the attendance to the parks, as well as some of the other things we presented, that if it's all virtual queues, you've got everybody out in the walkways, and you don't have social distancing there either. So it's uh, if you can actually regulate it better in a line, then that might be best for everybody involved. Um, I don't know if you guys had any insight here, but that's kind of my thought process, that eliminating virtual queues is that they can better regulate I'm, lines in an actual line. I'm kind of interested in next phase as opposed to just the opening because yes this probably does make sense when you're limiting capacity to 20 to 30 percent but as they start expanding capacity this isn't gonna work i don't think i i I, it it works on a very limited basis this is a again kind of going back to this reminds me of uh back when i we would get out of school way before the northeast would growing up and we Mm -hmm. would book a trip like the next day and we would get to the magic kingdom and nobody's there because yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you didn't need Fast Pass back then. You didn't need anything, and you could just go through the standby line because nobody's there. That's what it's going to be like during open, limiting the, the number of people in. But as they start going to 50, to 60, to 70, to 80%, I want to know how they're going to roll some of that back in. I don't want uh, – because you're going to have to. Otherwise, you're going to have way too many people standing in a standby line. You're going to have way too many people congregating in public areas. you gotta, you got to – I would think want to use some of those virtual queues, use some of those other options to get people, uh, you know, through the rides a little bit faster. I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I mean, I think that you're correct. I, I think you can almost, maybe this is overstating it, but, but I think it makes it clearer. You could almost say that the traditional theme park experience is patently incompatible with the social distancing guidelines that, that a lot it of people think is, are really yeah. important. So, 
you know, I think the answer to the question, how do you get things back to normal? You can't if the social distancing requirements remain in place. Uh, to me, that's that's the real fascinating part. Is this is this going to be the new normal forever? Is this going to change? Uh, you know, and we just don't know. But if it becomes something that is, you know, sort of like the TSA, that we we don't even need to discuss the degree to which it's needed. It was mm-hmm. put in place, you know, after a you know dramatic event, and then it never went away. Right. Um, you know, so what we don't know yet if social distancing and all of the changes to, you know, public venues are going to be, you know, persistent like that forever, or if they're going to change one day. But if they're, you know, it's kind of interesting that a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, new projects got canceled, because anything that goes on the drawing board from here on out, if it even seems remotely likely that these requirements are going to stay in place, they're going to have to be designed to accommodate that from the beginning. Whereas what we have right now is the even worse, more complicated scenario where you're trying to essentially retrofit attractions or, you know, treat them differently to accommodate the fact that they were never designed to have people spaced that far apart in the first place. So um, I would hate to be, I, the whole reason I do these podcasts, my initial thing that got me into Disney again as an adult when I went back was fascination with the, uh, with the engineering and the architecture and the science and the operation stuff. That's like my biggest kick. And I've always sort of, one of my fantasy jobs would be to have a high level job in a theme park, you know, trying to solve operational problems. I don't want that job now. Yeah, um, of course not. <laughs> you know, because the first step to solving a problem is you have to identify what the problem is, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, decision-making 101 is you don't want to just be, you know, pulling levers like an asshole without any guidance <laughs> as to what's going on. And that's that's kind of the situation that, the, the, that all of these operators find themselves in right now because we don't really know what the circumstance is. We don't, even right now, we probably don't have the statistical data to know what the actual infection rate is, what the actual mortality rate is. You know, we've got a, a relatively small subset of the population that's been tested. So these big companies are making these huge multi-million dollar decisions that are affecting tens of thousands of people. And we don't really have the data to know if they're doing it right or not. So uh, I have no clue how this all plays out, but it's going to be fascinating as hell to watch. Was your TSA comparison uh, an evil inside joke? Because uh, them kind of retrofitting it and, and changing the way that we get through those kind of security measures and things like that. That's also, you know, what's the next, what happened after, you know, those things got set into place and people, the lines got big, things like that. We started getting things like TSA pre-check and clear and things like that. Is that all, is that our gateway to paid fast pass that they're uh, setting us all up for here down the line? (laughs) It's very possible. We're going to be frustrated with, yeah, I, that's, they're going to take fast pass away from us for a year or two and then introduce it as a new system that you'll uh, pay an upcharge for. I'm confident of one thing. Whatever barriers are, end up being put in place, one solution to them will be money. Yes, that, usually that, is. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and certainly Disney, I think I've commented before that, you know, one of Coke's sort of internal marketing ideologies is that it's like the ultimate egalitarian product because if you're a billionaire versus someone who, you know, is barely, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, you get the same Coke, right? You, you look at those yeah. two people in any other aspect of life, they don't get the same house, they don't get the same, uh, you know, cars, they're probably not getting the same chicks, um, <laughs> but you're getting the same Coke, you know, and Disney kind of used to be that way, um, at least to a large degree. And not to say that there weren't advantages to being able to spend more money there, but the core experience was pretty much the same for the majority of people who went there. And I would say over the last 10 to 15 years, that's really gone down the hill. They've, they've really 
sort of amped up their selling of premium experiences to people who could pay through the nose for it. So I don't, I don't see that letting up anytime soon. This is a uh, good transition to our first listener question. Uh, we have additional topics that are unrelated to listener questions, but we can go back to them. Uh, this comes to us from Bruce McClintock, uh, favorite, favorite of our, uh, of us, uh, mainly because of his name. I don't remember any of his questions, just his name. Sorry, Bruce. Um, his subject, not so subtly, fast pass with all the S's as dollar signs. <laughs> hey, hey guys, thank you for the uploads. As Ben quoted Hulk Hogan last time, <laughs> never, let a, <laughs> never let a good crisis go to waste, brother. I assume Disney will listen to Ben and monetize the fast pass system at Disney World once the parks are fully operational. For PR purposes, let's give annual pass holders and resort guests a free fast pass for any ride, any time, including Rise of the Resistance. Uh, everyone then chooses from these options. $5 fast passes to use on most rides. If you want to ride Jungle Cruise 10 times, buy 10. Some rides require a premium $15 fast pass, such as anything Tier 1 already. Uh, $55 fast pass ticket book for every ride in a particular park. Okay, $40 for Epcot until Guardians or Emmy are both open. Unfortunately, you have to get in line to ride Jungle Cruise again. Or unlimited fast passes, uh, Jungle Cruise from Rope Drop to Fireworks for 80 bucks. Curious to hear what you guys think about these plans, which rides are premium rides, and the price points. So uh, he spelled it out. Uh, I, I don't know how Disney will do it. I know they have some version of this where I believe it is a – they have an unlimited option, but a pay-for-use option in Paris, if I'm not mistaken. My, my hope is that they just err on the side of simplicity. I think that's the one of the bigger complaints that I have on all of this. Uh, one of the beauties of Express Pass, uh, for example, is yes, you're paying a premium for it, but there's no confusion. You go into the Express Pass lane. You don't have to pick a specific time. You just go in and there's a limited number of them sold. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, paying for paying to enjoy an attraction, you know, harkens back to the original days of Disneyland and the early yes. days of Magic Kingdom with the ticket books. So, yeah. you know, the idea there was that the pricing model was that entrance into the park was relatively cheap and you do an a la carte billing for each attraction. Right. Um, you know, and the, the powers that be realized that there was an opportunity to simply charge a whole heck of a lot more to get into the park and to justify that by having unlimited access to attractions. It almost seems to me inevitable, honestly, yeah. that they're going to combine those two business models. And because certainly there are very smart people in that company who realize that they can charge the ridiculous amount for the ticket price and uh, charge, you know, additional money to allow people to get to the front of the line more quickly. And part of me thinks that, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you look at it. And here's how I would justify it. If I were tasked with pitching this in a meeting and getting it you know, greenlit, I would say that what you're really trying to do is create a system that can accommodate annual pass holders and locals and take their money with you know things like dining, but also provide the ability for people who are having that once-in-a-lifetime trip to be able to hit all of the attractions that they want to in the time that they're going to be on property. And mm -hmm. one way to do that is to provide essentially selective availability to the attractions to those people because they're going to be willing to pay for fast passes when most of the locals are not. So I don't think that the company wants to get rid of annual passes, but I do think they want to get rid of some of the capacity of attractions that's being consumed every single day by the same group of locals. So that is a way to do it and add another line to, of, of revenue. It's almost hard for me to imagine that not happening. I think they want to the to the point of reducing capacity devoted to locals and annual pass holders that have experienced something a thousand times. I think they're okay with it on uh, legacy rides, just things yeah. that are you know that have been there forever. They're sure. okay with it. It really what it comes down to is we're talking about the marquee things where it's uh, there are 
locals that have ridden Rise of the Resistance 25 times and your Joe Schmo that's there for a week has uh, struggles to get on at once. Our yep. apologies to Mr. Schmo for always yeah, denigrating yes. the, your yeah, importance. Sorry to uh, Joe and the rest of the Schmo family. I think I think that's a it's a fair point, but it's also a system that Disney has, itself has created. And most of I, these problems I, are the crow they, is like one that they, they, didn't they usually make. are. You're absolutely right <laughs> that yeah. that so often they create problems and charge for the solutions. Um, yep, in, that's a great in this situation. Model. I, I was uh, called out um, uh, recently on Twitter for uh, booking multiple Ohana reservations 180 days out, and generally I would I would cancel them uh, usually 60 plus days out to leave plenty of time for people. Um, but basically, I would do that because I didn't know what day I was going to have going to the park, uh, or oh, sorry, going to be going to uh, uh, the Polynesian, where it would make sense for myself and the other people that were going to be joining me. Um, but that's the system that they created. This it, it, is, yeah, they, that's, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but like, I, I just, they create these systems that invite gamification. Oh, absolutely. You, absolutely. You know, it didn't used to be that you didn't used to have to play these games. What you used to have to do is just get up early and go to the park. Like Ben you was still don't in Disneyland. You still don't have to play these games in Disneyland. And, and this is not good. You know, if Disney yeah, is yeah. going to create the game, then guests are going to play it. And the fact is, unfortunately, um, the group of people who are probably getting who, who have the potential to experience the parks for the first time are not going to be the ones that usually that are most adept at playing those games. So they're least likely to actually have those experiences. So this is another, you know, notch in the list of things that uh, should be weighing heavy on Disney in terms of simplifying this process. They've really it's like these new technologies came about. And the um, uh, you know I think it was probably a combination of imagine imagineering and management mm-hmm. that that they just tried so hard to leverage these technologies to achieve various goals that they they sort of missed the simple which is just providing a good guest experience they yeah, they right. thought so hard about it and they were so damn intelligent about it that they missed like the second grade you know, sort of obvious point, which was that there was unintended consequences of all this crap that took away from the fun, um, which is sort of the tragedy that I hope they're going to remedy. Well, I, I kind of go back to my, I was going to say, I was going to go back to my April trip that I was planning and how miserable of an experience that honestly was. Instead of me getting ready and looking forward to a trip, I was waking up every morning and doing dry runs of what it yeah. was like to get a pass for Rise of the Resistance. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And if there was an option, say, like, all right, here's this extra dollar amount, and you're guaranteed to ride at one time. I'm paying. What would that. you have paid? What would you have paid to guarantee your entire family? All right, negotiating one on one, never bid against yourself. Make Tim make <laughs> the opening offer. I mean, what? What? Your your my one day park admission was already like a hundred and twenty dollars for that Saturday. This is good. Okay. So add, add, down. Uh, let, let's start with the max pass price point at Disneyland, which I believe is 15 now. Would you pay $15 per person to guarantee a spot on Rise of the Resistance over and above your ticket price? Is that all you get? I'm just I'm trying to play from home Yes, here. That's, all you, that's all you get for now. How many kids what, you got, Ben? Without a doubt. Okay. I got, I got, uh, there, there, I got two kids. So this trip would okay. have been myself and my dad. Uh, the, th- without a this doubt. This model exists, by the way. I was going to say 100 bucks. Okay. So you're looking at – see? And, and guarantees I was going to – not for just Rise of the Resistance. I, for 100 bucks, if it guaranteed you know, Millennium Falcon, that tower and, and Rock and Roller Coaster, or yeah. at that time, Mickey and, Mon- Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway was open. If it guaranteed like a number of those top tiers for an extra $100 crap you had to go through, 
Yes, hundred bucks, no See, brainer. I'm, I'm learning something from this conversation because I always thought it was the, the My Magic Plus system sucked because they spent a billion dollars on it and it's terrible. But Too Ben many. just admitted that what he what they actually did was create a system that you're willing to pay not to use. So right. that is, yep. uh, admittedly, not probably the business model they were shooting for. But nonetheless, <laughs> at least well, it does it, result in you wanting to spend more money. So there's an to, upside. Two other examples for you. So one of our one of our upcoming trips that I've planned uh, that we have planned coming up in the uh, fall that's going to get canceled is uh, <laughs> going to Disneyland. That's the girls that want to go to Disneyland. They haven't been uh, for many many years. My youngest uh, doesn't even remember uh, when we went. So we're planning on going. Got to buy our tickets for it. And there's not even a question. We are budgeting in Max Pass for all three days. So we have our you know our three day par- park hopper plus. Max Pass, we're, it, that's going into the budget process right now. Because of the experience you get with the Max Pass, it's such a much more pleasurable experience that you, I feel like you have to do it. Uh, the other example, I would welcome I, Max Pass one hundred percent. Oh yeah, if, the, if, if it's a if it's a pay for a service and it replaces Fast Pass Plus, it eliminates advanced reservations, yep. uh, especially if it reduces the number of Fast Pass attractions as well. I would welcome it 100% in Walt Disney World. And that is something that they've already done. Use that as a solution. Don't think about it. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm a big subscriber to that idea. Yep. That uh, I love Max Pass. The, the one thing you mentioned with Express Pass, though, and this this isn't, you know, it just goes to show the reason they're going to charge for this at some point is because it's a, it's a untapped revenue stream that people will bend over, you know, they'll, they'll do it hand over fist. My example for that is my, my mom and dad went out to California by themselves uh, about a year ago and they wanted to go to Universal Studios Hollywood. And they had like maybe eight hours during that day, eight, eight, 10 hours. They didn't even have a full day at the park. And so I told them, you know, I, I can give you a plan on how to tackle that park, do this, this, and this. They have a couple of attractions that are repeats in Florida that you've already done. So you can skip if you want to, blah, blah, blah. Let's skip the entire park. I, do I the, like Universal Do the backlock tour in Waterworld and then leave. I, You're good. I, I, like, <laughs> I, 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 I like that park. Uh, but I said, you know, I, I can give you a plan. This is how you can do it. Or I think it was like 125, 150 bucks per person each. They could buy an express pass and get on everything as much as they want. Mm-hmm. And my my dad, I love you if you're listening. I apologize for about to say this, but he is super cheap, super mm-hmm. super cheap. And they decided, you know, hey, stop being so grateful. That's why you're getting inheritance. It's true. <laughs> uh, they decided, hey, why not? Let's. We, we've never been here before. They don't know when they'll go back again. Let's buy the express pass. Now every time he talks to anybody who is mm-hmm. going to California, he's like, oh, you have to go to Universal Studios. And when you go, you have to get the Express Pass. It was such a wonderful experience for them to get to, you know, they felt like VIPs. They felt like celebrities, like they had never done, you know, walking on everything, doing everything they wanted. <laughs> that, that that 300 extra dollars on top of their, uh, you know, one day park ticket that was over a hundred bucks. Uh, it was so enjoyable to them that now they don't even think twice about wanting to get express pass. Anytime they go to universal, the same is going to happen when Disney does this at whatever point people are going to do it once. And then they're going to be like, Oh man, I didn't wait four hours for flight of passage. This and that Right? they're going to do it every single time. So it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and how much, Just what form it takes yep. six flags. And I don't know if they do it at all of them, but I know that they do it at magic mountain. And this is probably 10 years ago pricing where if you got their highest level, is it fast lane there? Is that what they're referring uh, to? As? Fla- flash, flash pass. pass. Okay. If you got their highest level flash pass at magic mountain, 
you still had to pay a premium to go on. I believe it was two rides, one of which was X2. That was the one that I wanted to. Uh, That's uh, a hard to ride to get on because it's broken so much. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, you you pay for their highest level flash pass, which reduces your weights by 90% and you can ride twice, which uh, you don't really think about as uh, somebody that doesn't have the uh, best stomach in the world riding roller coasters over and over again. But uh, <laughs> that aside, over and above that, I believe it was an additional $10 to uh, get a guaranteed spot on X2 as well. Um so it's something where they can sell you this and then prioritize uh, the new and the latest and greatest as well. So these yep. are all models that exist that have been in practice for uh, for years at other places. But the well, it, uh, the pill to swallow for Disney is that FastPass has always been free. So I imagine that there will still be a free version of it in some way, shape, or form. And that's where MaxPass comes in. Well, that's it, where a free version of it is sort of uh, made possible by the fact that they include it for lots of attractions that don't need it. Yes, also uh, true. So that's probably yeah, – it's such a convoluted system because I don't think we really know with certainty what, what their actual objective was. But it doesn't – it definitely doesn't seem like enhancing the guest experience was at the top of that list. <laughs> no. Um, but, well, and, and I think that's where you go to day ofs. Yeah, yeah. You make day, day ofs of free. You, you can go to your – well, in – yeah, you pull up on your app and whatever's available there. But if you pay the premium, what you know that maybe the people who pay the premium price get the little bit more advanced. Maybe it doesn't have to be 30, 60 days in advance, but your free version is just whatever's left over. If you pull up your app that day, yeah, you can get a small world fast pass, go right on. But you're not get, you're not gonna get the big ones. I think they're right. better off uh, complete going back completely to just uh, standby queues for everything, unless you pay for you know make standing in that fast pass line be yeah. a VIP experience and charge accordingly. Like I would, I'd be fine with that. It's just that right now what we have is it, it's not that it's like the worst. That's of the all model worlds. everywhere else, but Disney that is yeah, pretty and, much. And maybe they were trying to be different and I respect yeah. them for that. I, you know, I, I want the company to try and be innovative, but sometimes when you're trying to innovate, you come up with a turd uh, <laughs> and you don't marry the turd, well, you know, it, and flash pass express pass. Those were all reactionary deals to fast pass. Mm-hmm. FastPass was the first. The others came along. You're, you can always reset. And I, I do think they're setting themselves up right now to be able to reset some of these things that we've all I just been so. grown accustomed to. So, uh, And it's not like they haven't changed it before. Obviously, we had paper fast passes, We had machine. We had the day up. They changed it several years ago to what we had you know, before the pandemic started. They, so they, there is a history of making adjustments. They can do it again. Sure. And they, sure. they have so much – they have so much plausible deniability now as to what yeah. the motives are. You know, they can really do whatever they want and they can couch it all in terms of responding to the new world. Yeah. Um, so it, it would almost really betray a, a real lack of critical thinking in the company if they didn't change some of these things now because they have, you know, what I hope to God uh, is the last really good excuse they're going to have <laughs> for, for quite some time. Um, you know, now's the time to do it. And honestly, they just have to because of the conversation we had earlier. I mean, the the, the way that the parks have operated historically just isn't going to work with with the new mindset that guests, that responsible guests are going to have as to how to uh, take in that kind of experience. Shifting gears, uh, we are an Imagineering podcast. That's kind of the motivation for why we do things. And uh, news has picked up a change.org petition, uh, people suggesting that Splash Mountain be redone into a Princess and the Frog attraction. Uh, we are three white guys, so arguing in defense of Splash Mountain isn't really what we're going to do on this show, uh, at least not as a one-sided argument. 
I think we can probably all accept and recognize that Song of the South uh, is certainly racist. Uh, that does not necessarily mean Splash Mountain is racist, but I am not, uh, I, I am not prepared to make that argument for or against. Um, but we do ask for IP-based attractions to exist beyond their source material, and we do cite Splash Mountain as an example of that, uh, because Disney will certainly not let Song of the South in uh, outside of the Disney vault, and if they won't let that outside of the vault but continue to let Splash Mountain exist, then they clearly have formulated their opinion there. Um, looking at the dialogue in the Change.org petition, the suggestion was a Princess and the Frog redo, and uh, many of the suggestions were more about Princess Tiana being represented and not necessarily that um, that, that that was more of the injustice, not necessarily Splash Mountain, although they're looking at Splash Mountain as a source of it. But I think the greater argument was that Tiana should be in the parks, and I, I don't think anybody here objects to that at all. I think we are also largely in favor of not retrofitting anything, but building a new experience, and the fact that Princess Tiana doesn't have more representation in New Orleans Square and Disneyland seems strange to me. But um, for the racial discussion, I'm going to point you guys to another show that I did uh, on Jalen Harvey's podcast, a podcast for all things but mostly Disney, where I had a conversation with Jalen, uh, Chris Wakefield, and Erica uh, about that. But um, I, w- I want to look at the actual petition itself, but then more look at what could be done to change Splash Mountain uh, as a thought exercise and nothing more, because I don't think that the petition gained enough traction for it to really move the needle for Disney. It had 21,000 signers. Uh, that represents less than two days' worth of guests on the attraction. It also represents about 40% of a single day's worth of attendance at the Magic Kingdom. It doesn't mean that people uh, are, that their voices shouldn't be heard, but I don't know that that's enough uh, from a, from a change.org petition for Disney to really act. But anyway. Uh, that is the uh, the why we are talking about this. Now the how of what to do. If, if you are forced to change Splash Mountain, what are the options? I don't know if you guys actually put in a level of thought on what possible changes could there be. But an argument that I've often made is that Splash Mountain in Florida doesn't technically fit in Frontierland. So I would look at this as an opportunity to possibly fix that. The other parks, I think it's a little bit easier. That was my long-winded explanation. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're you're above my pay grade at this point. I mean, <laughs> it's, to me, you know, and I, I suppose that ignorance is not a good defense to, uh, you know, being okay with something that's uh, problematic. Yeah. But I, I can tell you, I, I had no fucking clue what Splash Mountain was based on. To me, it was like, you know, a world-class done log flume that had a bunch of uh, psychedelic, crazy-ass characters in it. I think most guests are unfamiliar with the source material. I think that yeah. is a very fair statement to say. You know, and I think, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go very deep on this because I don't want to have to make you edit it out again. Yep. You know, but I think there's a danger here that there's nothing in the world that's not offensive to someone. Um, so I don't okay. know, I don't know if you're operating a company how and where you draw that line. Uh, certainly, if the explicit message that an attraction or a film or something that you create. Uh, you know, is derogatory toward a specific race of people, then I think that's an easy case, right? We could probably all agree that that shouldn't, you know, be perpetuated at this point. Um, But there comes a point where you you get sort of, granted, this is a private company, not the government, but you you start flirting with uh, a little bit of Orwellianism where you're you're rewriting history. 
and I'm again as a white dude, uh, maybe I'm maybe I should just not say anything. But I but I do think that there's some value in controversial things because they promote discussion. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that marginalized groups are necessarily served well um, by trying to cleanse the world of the fact that historically there's been very substantial problems. So again, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this. Uh, I'm really good with computers and uh, business <laughs> law and shit. And if you've got questions about that, I consider myself qualified to weigh in as to how things should be. Uh, I do not consider myself to be in any way qualified to say how this stuff should be. Um, so that's all I will say. One of the uh, talking points on the show that I did, uh, uh, Jalen's show, was underrepresentation of minorities in the parks. I think that is a very legitimate uh, mm-hmm. discussion. And that is, I, I hope, what the takeaway is from this petition, that uh, they look at the fact that any attraction that features a Disney character, that character is is white. There are very few minorities represented on Disney attractions. Um, that Aladdin I think is, is not white. That that is a fair point, but he's also represented by a carpet. So mm-hmm. uh, his actual attraction. Okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, so so getting getting away from that. If you want to have that discussion, if you want to hear that discussion, I encourage you to listen to a podcast for all things, but mostly Disney. It is episode six. Uh, I believe it is a vi- <laughs> the place that I could find it because it looks like it drops off a lot of other places. Is Buzz Sprout? I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, that's a place that still has the older episode. What but anyway, Buzz Sprout. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> So I got to talk to my to my friend Jalen about this podcast. It looks like he only has the last ten available for download through iTunes. We should probably consider that. (laughs) Scrub the cleanse the catalog. I guess the one thing I would say on here is this is a very unique, I feel, situation in a unique movie and a unique. Mm I am familiar with the movie. I've, I've always been familiar. I knew when this attraction was built what the movie was based on, Uh, Mm -hmm. and since then I've you know. This isn't recent. This is something years ago. I educated myself more on the original IP and the stories that the movie was based on, which will just make your head spin. Yeah. And, and you know, yes, it might be considered a classic attraction, a, a modern classic attraction. But if it makes people uncomfortable uh, in in any way, in, in just the way that Disney has hidden the source material that the attraction is based on, yep. it, it just doesn't seem valuable enough for me to, to, to stay in any sense if if this conversation did uh, get to the point where uh, it felt like it needed to be removed. I would support that decision because if, if I go to Disney World to fill, you know, again, we talked about the happy place. I want everybody right. why should to be, everybody? Why shouldn't everybody feel the same right. way that we do? I want everybody to be happy. I want okay. everybody to be comfortable. I don't want a group of people to, you know, walk down Frontierland and as they're going to Big Thunder, they see this ride over there that that brings up any thoughts and reminders that makes them feel comfortable, uncomfortable. Uh, it, 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 it's it's. The one thing I would say about you know retrofitting it or whatever, yeah. you know, Princess and the Frog coming up, what I would do is I if if it got to the point that that ride needed to be changed, I would tear the whole thing down. I think that's I w- the move. I wouldn't retrofit it uh, because it just it, it's a, it, if that building's there and the ride system's there, it's still a reminder of what was there, even if it was taken out to put something else in that that represented a, a group of people in a much better situation. And also. We love Princess and the Frog in this mm-hmm. in this house. It's a it's a movie my girls go to all the time. Uh, they got great characters in it, not just Tiana, but like Doctor Facilier. 
is a fantastic villain. Yeah. And I think it could do some amazing stuff with the, the stuff that's in that movie and, and uh, creating show scenes around his story as well. Uh, On My Way is a, a fantastic song uh, that is almost written a perfect for it, for any kind of attraction to, you know, it's, it's one of those songs that kind of can carry you through an, almost an entire ride, to be honest with you. Uh, I would, I would take the whole thing down and I would give that movie, if you're going to build an attraction around that movie, I would give it the respect that you would give any of your other films and, and go with an original idea, build it from the ground up and don't go the cheap, easy way. Give it, give it the whole thing. The only thing I would just ask is, uh, you know, Splash Mountain does utilize a lot of audio animatronics, so carry mm-hmm. that over, please. Don't just make it a yep. whole bunch of screen-based deals. Let's <laughs> let's see Princess Tiana. Let's see let's see all the characters uh, as audio animatronics and just go all out. I think that would be awesome to do uh, in those areas if it gets to that point that that attraction needs to needs to be swapped out. So I think that fits very well in uh, in Disneyland. You can effectively yep. extend New Orleans Square. Even though the entrance for Splash Mountain is in Critter Country, uh, the the facade is very much in New Orleans Square. And especially if you're taking it down, you could do that and extend the New Orleans Square without really much of an issue there. Um, I also uh, w- would certainly argue that Florida's version of Splash Mountain is substantially better than the one in California. But assuming that we're operating under the hypothetical that all all of them need to be replaced. And in Frontierland, I don't know that Princess Tiana makes sense. I would certainly welcome a Princess Tiana ride in Fantasyland um, or any other appropriate spot that they felt, uh, felt that it could go. But the, the thing that I kept on seeing, because people were suggesting things other than Princess and the Frog, I think while that might necessarily be might not necessarily be the right takeaway here, <laughs> the mindset is still we need to put an IP in here. We need to put an IP in here. We need to put an IP in here. And we hate that on this show. There was a concept in Walt Disney World for the Western River Expedition that thematically would be a perfect fit for this area. Yes, you might have to uh, uh, change it to perhaps have uh, uh, different interactions between cowboys and Native Americans, but the the concept of the Western River cowboy Western get attacked by banditos, that type of flume ride would also be a very good fit. And the thing that we always say here is that if you're going to take something out, you need to replace it with something better. Splash Mountain is a pretty damn high bar to get over. And opinions uh, on the racial undertones aside, it is a beloved attraction for people that aren't offended by it. And I know that that's a very big caveat, but it is something where when you're ma- when you're when you're ignorant to how it might offend people it is a beloved attraction and anything that replaces it be it princess and the frog be it uh what i just said western river expedition be it anything in between uh needs to be a superior attraction so it's not something that a retrofit would do it can't be half assed you need to use your whole ass when you're doing it <laughs> so i i am putting it out there to the extent that if it is ever replaced that it be done correctly. I think that taking it down, replace, uh, removing it, and not trying to build off of the existing infrastructure is the way to do it. Uh, I think we can probably all agree with that. Uh, I, I guess I don't have anything more that I'm willing to say. Okay, we. I think we successfully did that without any need for fast forwarding. So you, right now there are 80 people. Per- 
frantically typing a hate-filled email toward us. <laughs> well, well, we'll see what those uh, come in. But anyway, uh, why don't we hit some more listener questions? We've got one from a Chris Elman. Uh, if Disney is planning on limiting capacity, do you think they have any idea on what to do to the visitors who can't get in all week and a family of four spending thousands of dollars just to sit in their rooms and watch Stacey Aswad all day? What to do to them? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the hotel pools. And room service, because you're not allowed to leave. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I fully understand the question. If you if you t- choose to take a Disney vacation when the parks aren't open, uh, you know, or I, go to Orlando. I mean, that's, I'm not sure what else. I think where they're they going to find problems are people that aren't staying on site. Because they're restricting capacity, I imagine that with your hotel room also comes guaranteed spots in the parks for the days of your trip. Otherwise, oh, okay. I you misunderstood the question. Room. I thought he was saying, what, what, what if people go to the resorts when the parks aren't open? Uh, I, I think the, the idea is people that are staying at resorts and they can't get into parks. So say that like the parks have reached capacity. Oh, I see what yeah, you're that's, saying. That's my understanding. And now, so, I, now it makes a lot more sense. I don't, I don't think they'll allow that to happen. Yeah, I think they're they are restricting attendance at the parks. They're filling they're filling a lot of resorts with people that aren't going to the parks in basketball players and soccer players for the uh, for the foreseeable future. They they pulled a lot of rooms out of inventory. Uh, so I don't know that you're going to see a situation where the hotel rooms are filled any more than what the parks can support. What you might see is that you have a week-long vacation and you're going to Epcot three times and you don't want to go to Epcot three times. Um, that might happen. I could see that being a realistic possibility, especially early on. But as the uh, capacities for the park increase, then the problem will be lessened. But I think they're going to allow you to have your – once you book your resort, you're going to be able to get your spots in the uh, various parks and they won't overbook the resorts for that purpose. Can we interest you in a round of miniature golf at Winter Summerland? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not the Cove Tower. <laughs> the Cove Tower. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that they're going to essentially tie uh, you know guaranteed park admission to a room. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the obvious choice. And I mean, the capacity of the parks, even if they're running at 30% capacity, that's they still hold a hell of a lot more people than the resorts do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next question comes to us from Dan Heaton, Tomorrow Society on Twitter. Or tomorrow still SOC has not had me on his show. Never had Josh on the show. Josh For good reason. Personally. Yeah, it's true. Uh, do you think there's any chance that Disney would delay the opening of the parks, especially Disneyland, given the rising number of COVID-19 cases? We discussed this a little bit at the outset, but I think if if Florida goes is continuing to go in the wrong direction for the next month, I think they absolutely delay Florida and same with California. Um, but I also, I mean, how crippling would that be if they've announced a park opening date and then they renege off that date? Um, like, do they have to be the one? Like, say say that between now and July eleventh. Universal continues to operate regardless of whatever is going on in Florida. And then Disney says, no, we're not doing it. How crippling is that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be keeping people up at night there for sure. This is a hard decision to make. Yeah. And I'm I, glad I'm not the one that has to make it. Uh, me too. I can only imagine that they're punting on it for now that they've got to be watching the data because there has to be, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately I think if you're, let's put ourselves in that position because we're, you know, Armchair Imagineers, right? That's the whole point. I think you just have to decide that the goal, forget about publicity for a minute, you got to make the right decision, right? Right. And the right decision is going to be made on the basis of objective data 
and analysis of that data by qualified by people who are qualified to interpret it. So I think if that's what guides you, and if you're the person who ultimately has to decide what the decision is going to be, that's how I would do it. I would say, look, you, you know, we when we plan to reopen on July 11th, we did that because the data that we have said that it would be safe to do so. But now we have the benefit of the passage of time, and we see that that data was misleading. And we care about the safety and uh, you know health of our guests, and we can't in good conscience op- uh, good conscience open the parks as planned. And it's going that is not going to do a whole heck of a lot to uh, you know satisfy the people that planned a vacation in between the mm-hmm. time that first announcement was made and the one was canceled. But I think in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of what you have to do because if you open the parks in the face of clear evidence showing that it's going to create a massive outbreak, you're not, you're not really accomplishing anything in the long term, right? You're, you're not going to keep the parks open when, you know, uh, you know, high percentage of people who go there are getting sick. So you're going to have to face that music sooner or later. Seems to me it would be better to do it, uh, you know, with a conservative, uh, you know, well-reasoned decision than, than just, you know, proceeding blindly, not, not even blindly, but proceeding in the face of something you know is going to be harmful and letting people get hurt and then doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We said that, uh, even just discussing masks in the park, that it's Disney is unlikely to go against whatever the CDC recommendations are. And if, if they're coming out in a, in, you know, less than a month's time now, three weeks away and saying that, these types of environments, sports stadiums, theme parks, et cetera, are just not safe to operate right now. I imagine that Disney will delay it. I think if if they had a gun to their head today to make a decision, they will open when they said they will open. But three See, weeks from now is going – the, the world is changing so rapidly right now. Three weeks is so a lifetime away. I, I don't know – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I think there's another variable that might enter into this, though. And I I agree with you 100%. But one thing that I think is going to be different moving forward than it was four months ago or three months ago is that there's been there's without getting into the depths of it, I'll say that I have some very serious questions about the constitutionality of the governments of various states doing what they did in order to try and Uh, contain the spread of the virus. Now, let me be clear about something for people who don't understand the law. I'm not saying that I'm not rooting for the virus here, okay? But nonetheless, there are... We've been very clear since day one, we are (laughs) anti-coronavirus. You'd be surprised what people hear when you you speak. Um, Tim, you might might want to write down this time code real quick. (laughs) But no, I'm not going to go on a tirade here. Um, But the fact is that some of those legal... some of the things that governors and other uh, government officials have done to mandate the closure of businesses has have been challenged legally. And the cases that I've seen have held largely that those governments did it wrong. Mm-hmm. So what we said a couple of episodes ago is that we expect Disney to sort of fall into lockstep with what the government recommendations are, or certainly what, you know, what the law is, obviously. But I think we're probably set up for a, for a situation here where you're going to have the CDC making recommendations as to what constitutes safe precautions, but you're not going to have necessarily corresponding, you know, mandates that these businesses stay closed. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Disney does there. You know, how how what is the what is the correct move? Do they there? I guess what I'm trying to get at is if Disney decides to close when it's legal for them to be open, they're going to have to justify their decision to do that. They're not going to be able yeah. to just say we're going along with with the government, you know, in lockstep. 
So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's been some breaking news tonight since we started recording uh, this show. It's uh, not about baseball, that, is it? No, it's not about baseball, though. That that did break, too. But uh, And this could... I don't know if this has any meaning for these parks or if it could you know, move into what we're talking about here with Disney, but Ashley Carter uh, from My News 13 Orlando uh, about an hour ago broke the news that Universal has started laying off employees. Uh, she said layoffs come just a couple of weeks after Universal reopened its theme parks to the public. Universal has confirmed uh, this report that she went out with, and they've released a statement that says... We have made the difficult decision to reduce our parks and resorts workforce across multiple locations and business units. The decision was not made lightly, but was necessary to prepare us for the future. Okay. Good thing we're in the lucrative uh, recession-proof industry of podcasting. (laughs) That that tells me that demand is not as high as as what they're uh, they're anticipating. And perhaps further supports our belief that uh, they should have staggered openings a little bit more. But, I mean... Again, Disney is not Universal. Um, like it or not, uh, uh, Universal fans, Disney, uh, just attendance-wise, is typically ahead of Universal. Uh, it caters more. It, it caters not what, more. Now, what Bergen says. Well, actually, that, that's a, a d- decent enough point because it is entirely possible this year that uh, Universal Park passes a stateside uh, Disney Park. But uh, an additional month will help with that. But uh, to that point, you're talking family vacations and. We we don't really know what the travel dynamic is going to be when when everything opens up, but that is that is certainly interesting. And reducing reducing the workforce that runs the parks, the attractions specifically, does not yeah. sound like good news. Probably uh, not. Uh, also, you know, yes. What if they have to close the parks back down? What if yeah. they do have to do something like that? What if this is preparing for something like that? I mean, the numbers are definitely rising at a rate that, uh, at least here in Texas, the governor finally yesterday came out and said. If these things don't change, you know, it's the last option, but we will have to look at closing everything back down again. And mm-hmm. I know Texas and Florida are running at about the same rate right now. And we both opened about at the same time. And, and you know, right or wrong, there was plenty of criticism about how fast both economies reopened up. Uh, and the numbers seem to be moving at the same pace, uh, you know, Right now, so I, I don't know. It's just interesting timing that you know parks are reopened, things are supposed to be up and running again, and now the layoffs are happening. Uh, what that means exactly, don't know. I think you're probably on the on the point that the that the the uh, demand might not be there, but um, it's an interesting story to keep following as we move forward and get closer to Disney's reopening. That's for sure. I wonder if, and we've we've said this quite a bit. So much of Universal's attendance has been historically driven by Disney, and this is uh, pre-Harry Potter days for a lot of it, but so often it is we're doing a vacation to Central Florida because Disney is there and also Universal. And it is something where they may be feeling the heat since Disney is not operating, and that that very well could be something that come July 15th, Universal has to totally reverse course as well. So we, we just don't uh, know. I will tell you this. We, we discussed it before with my wife being a travel agent and does, you know, cruises in Disney. That's, that's her main two. Uh, since the announcement of the reopening of the parks, she has not had one phone call. Not mm-hmm. one person reached out and wanted to book a trip. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that's only one example I can speak on. Uh, we've can't, you know, she's had, she has had people call to cancel their trips. That has okay. happened plenty, but not one person has gone, Hey, the parks are reopening in July. Let me book something for August. That has not happened. 
So, you know, I don't know if other agents are feeling the same way right now, but I would imagine it's probably pretty similar across the board. Uh, so that brings us to another listener question. This one uh, comes to us from Joel Nans, J Nans on Twitter. Uh, another Disney IT fiasco in the books. Are they being set up to fail by overzealous management decisions, or are they just that incompetent? So Ben, he is uh, shitting on your wife's point about not getting any calls, but I don't know that he knowingly did that. Um, I don't know how much of this you guys followed, where when they opened bookings again this week, uh, the website became overburdened. Uh, this is nothing new. <laughs> this happens all the time when Disney introduces something new that their phone lines and their websites can't handle the the service. I don't know that this was really any different than any time previously. And um, it, it, the only people I saw that couldn't get on, there were AP holders and bloggers and vloggers that mouthed about mm-hmm. it on Twitter. So I don't right. know how many people setting up their vacations were trying to get their days in there. It seemed like it was a, uh, a, a relatively uh, small circle in the, uh, you know, Disney universe that we all live in that were the ones that couldn't get in there. And of course, they're the ones that are the most vocal about it on the uh, social media channels. Uh, anecdotally, I will speak of a friend of mine who was texting. You don't have the friends. You That's don't fair. have okay. friends. Uh, an associate of mine who <laughs> was trying to book something for May of 2021. And I asked uh, when I found out when that was when he was actually booking, like, why the sense of urgency? This does not need to be booked today. Yes. The, See, you may that guy's still- got no problem with booking <laughs> fast passes 60 days in advance. <laughs> Uh, but basically it was, he had a trip this May and he wanted to get something on the books. But, uh, in doing that, he had to go through the same, uh, nonsense that other people were going through where it was delayed. But again, this is, this is nothing new when they introduced be our guest. That was the one that I remember being catastrophic where, uh, that was just a single restaurant and the phone lines were jammed. So I was going to say, to be fair, I think a hundred people can crash their app. Yeah, right? exactly. exactly. But for you know, my ignorance, do, do either of you know the specifics of the failure? Was it? Or my is understanding it just was just it, it that the, well? people were struggling to get uh, to, to be able to book things. And I was on DisneyWorld.com basically searching around for content for my website because I don't create anything uh, new. Um, but it was basically just navigation was slow. As your copyright attorney, I would urge you to rephrase that. <laughs> they were bringing you to, uh, to various navigation and loading screens that uh, I think some people had to go into a virtual queue in order to book things, that sort of thing. To be um, fair, what, they have what? a virtual queue. Yo, dog, I heard you like virtual queues. <laughs> we're not doing them in the parks, but we got them on the website. There you go. <laughs> uh, did, did Disney not come out with a response afterwards saying something along the lines so that they did not say that's the, you know, the date and the time? Uh, that the app was supposed to be up that everybody assumed was the date and time that it was supposed to go up. Yeah, their, that type of stuff re- happens too. Their, yeah, their response was, well, we never said it was going to be up at 7 a.m. on whatever day it was. You guys were the ones that all went there, and yeah, when it didn't load, it's because it wasn't ready. I don't know if there's truth behind that or not, but uh, I don't remember an official announcement necessarily coming out saying this exact date, this exact time right, and, right. That, that it was going to launch, so... I just know that this is not the first time that they've run no. into problems here. It certainly no. isn't. So, um, and, and Joel says it. He says another Disney IT fiasco in the books. I mean, this is the worst $80 million website on the planet. Oh, it's uh, terrible. We, we, we've complained about it. The I integration across all platforms is, is pretty bad. I, I'm sort of a student and fascinated by, uh, you, you know, the whole, the whole IP's packet switching network thing and the internet what it grew into so i would love to know some of the specifics about what actually you know what the problem <laughs> is and why why it seems to be so chronic with them 
Yeah, and you have I mean, to imagine this was a relatively small load compared to, you know, a normal time. I mean, it was a huge ramp up, and maybe that's it. Like maybe they have server resources allocated dynamically based on demand, and the things have basically been idling for three months. And maybe the, you know, maybe the uptick rate exceeded their ability to, you know, maybe. handle it. I don't know. I'm purely speculating, but it just seems you think about a company like Disney, you don't think of someone who's incapable of of having the IT infrastructure be strong. Right, right. Just shut down one of the Pixar servers and shift everything over there. I'm sure that they can, you know, if they can render some of those yeah. uh, files, you can probably switch things over and handle, uh, you know, some, some website traffic. You know, uh, if you if you guys, I don't know if you guys saw The Social Network, but it's the, you know, the yeah. Facebook movie. Yeah. And there was a line that the Zuckerberg character said, uh, and this was when they were first launching Facebook, and it was a tiny thing. It's like the servers can never, ever, ever, ever be down because you'll mm-hmm. lose a customer forever. Um, you know, it's sort of, uh, I'm not one to quote Zuckerberg frequently. Uh, it was either Hed- Hedgeberg, <laughs> Mitch Hedgeberg or uh, Zuckerberg. Mitch, I don't know, Mitch one Zuckerberg. Of <laughs> Mitch Zuckerberg, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it's interesting that Disney doesn't seem to have taken that same sort of uh, passion about making sure their infrastructure is The solid. servers can be down, I don't know, 10%, 10% of the time. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Nobody cares. Why, nice round number. <laughs> why do they call it Facebook? I mean, it's not even a book. <laughs> That was you talked the baseball joke, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever impression you were doing, you nailed it. Thank you. It's my Mitch Zuckerberg. Yep, there you go. Um, All right. Uh, Mary the Old Mill, Mary the Disney M1 asks, are you looking for any particular topic? And when I said dealer's choice, there was no follow-up. So, uh, Mary, you can get us in the next one. Uh, Let's see. her Her question was, is there a requirement for the format of the question? (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Excellent. Uh, we got a couple of uh, similar questions. Br'er Oswald, uh, when will the e-ticket report be coming back? And then Nitro 230, do you all expect the e-ticket report to come back asking for Tommy Hawkins? Uh, ben, uh, am I out of line here in saying that that is not a Marty called question? Probably I don't, I don't believe so. Those two. Yeah. I, you might lack standing to read these, but go ahead. The court will grant you leave. <laughs> Uh, not anytime soon. Anyway, um, <laughs> we can just go blow through these Leave ones. Leave terminated. Uh, this one comes to uh, Kofma Zero. Um, how long until someone hacks into the Space 220 computer system to display a flat Earth? Uh, that would be absolutely hilarious. That would be hilarious. <laughs> My favorite tweet is from the Flat Earth Society uh, bragging about how they have members all around the globe. Uh, you know we have not uh taken up the opportunity so downloads for our show have uh have they've been we had a a big pickup a few months ago where i think we had about 30 million downloads and then (laughs) it's true it's it's tapered off since then um i sent a i i booked a i bought a lamborghini and then asked him about these new numbers and he gave me the bad news uh if we have uh there have been uh, especially on twitter uh some trends where uh we have uh what is is it k-pop fans that are kind of driving some hashtags if yeah. any of them happen to be listening to our show and want to somehow boost our numbers we would absolutely welcome it um, yeah, that'd be whether awesome. it be artificial it would it would really really help us out so if any of the any of the uh k-pop twitter drivers are fueling uh downloads for our show we would really appreciate it um Oswald has to know a K-pop fan or two. Yeah, so if any of our listeners happen to know any of them, you can just pass it along. We need them PewDiePie numbers over here. We'd appreciate it. But but (laughs) to the question about hacking the Space 220 computer system, I really hope this type of stuff happens. It's very entertaining. Like, if you're in Trader Sam's and you get the Windows blue screen to death, that is hilarious (laughs) to me. Um, I've seen it on... 
Expedition Everest for the projecting system. Uh, I've seen a, uh, a Windows error message pop up over the Yeti. Uh, I don't know if you guys have experienced similar things, but um, anytime I, you've got computers in there, <laughs> you're susceptible to this. Th- this makes me think back on, like, I always liked it on Star Trek, where just the bad guy from another ship would just pop up on that screen in front of them and just, you know, threaten them at that point, we're going to attack the Just <laughs> ran- randomly during your meal, some villain, for some space alien villain will pop up there and, and, and threaten to destroy the place. It'll, it can... Kind of be like that meteor shower that happens at your favorite restaurant, T-Rex, you know, every hour. It can be some <laughs> yeah. attack on uh, Space 220 and, you, you know, survive or don't. Yeah, I think P.T. Barnum said there's no such thing as bad publicity, but I think that was before, uh, you know, one of the biggest software companies in the world has <laughs> have their most iconic screen be of their most popular operating system crashing and burning. <laughs> It's, it's I, funny, like you, people who don't know anything about computers know exactly what that screen is, and they get the joke. Like yeah, that's absolutely that's yep. not what you want. He mentioned Space Two Twenty. It'd be even better at the hotel, the Star Wars hotel. Yeah, where, I, like, yeah. I was joking about that with Gary at Kingdom Cast. Like you get that whole wall to wall experience. You walk in, it's just like an update, <laughs> downloading all night long. <laughs> Middle of the night, you're you got a Windows reboot screen, and you hear the chime. Uh, for, cause it's like weather bug is on like, there for some reason because somebody downloaded that. It's running on Windows 95. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the funniest thing about that question is they think the Space 220 is actually going to open. <laughs> oh, don't Good say joke. that. Good joke. <laughs> that's like one of the pretty short lists of things that I'm genuinely excited about that they're adding. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's far enough along to where it's unkillable at the, well I, I, i'm afraid someone will hear that as a challenge yeah i would think it's safe just because of how far along it is but then again what do i know well it it, it, it is safe but it's an artemis fowl restaurant now <laughs> <laughs> i haven't watched that it's any good i don't know uh it's, it seems to be a lot of like disney bought up a lot of uh, uh classic books and tried to make them into uh, lower-budgeted, special effects-driven movies, and they just don't work. Um, So anyway, uh, I lied, by the way. Mary did ask a question, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, I've got one here that makes no sense to me, so perhaps either of you can explain it to me. Otherwise, I'll just show my ignorance or age. Uh, Aaron McMahon, uh, been watching what we do in Shadows, and keep thinking of the key story whenever I see Colin the Energy Vampire. So I, I assume it's making fun of me because he mentions the key story that I told back on the e-ticket report days, uh, which was less than three minutes long, and it was riveting the entire time, by the way. Mm. Um, do you either of you get the other references that he's mentioning? If I could see them written out, that would help. Been watching What We Do in Shadows, and I get I recognize that I'm just reading it and not typing it out to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have to explain what visual learning that, that's is. The, uh, that's, that's the uh, vampire TV show. I uh, was it was with the next line where it says yeah. I see Colin the energy vampire. <laughs> yep. See, I'm not. I'm ignorant completely when it comes to pop culture. It's Taika Waikiki. I can never say his name. I believe that I was like his, the uh, talking cat on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, <laughs> and when they went to um, the Animal Kingdom, and I believe one of them turned into a zebra. I love cats. <laughs> Aaron, I hope we appropriately you answered your question. You, you don't have to. Ask every question that gets written, so, you know. But so just just so you know, future. I think, I think we do actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we've <laughs> this one actually uh, generated some discussion on Twitter. So perhaps we don't need to actually read this one either. But uh, Mary, uh, the Disney M one says, "What could an updated American adventure look like?" 
Uh, <laughs> we have some go. follow-ups to this from uh, Funko Disney Guy. The American Adventure is a bathroom and barbecue stop. It's the least interesting spot at World Showcase. Uh, we've got I Won't Argue With That. What if Lin-Manuel or Ava were in charge of an uh, updated new American Adventure? Those are my dreams. Um, so just kind of continuing on. Do you guys stop at the American Adventure when, yeah. when you're touring Epcot? Absolutely. Going to see the show? Uh, yeah. What it, okay. Ben, same question. Nap time. Oh, you call you, you're, the mean, wor- you're the you're a <laughs> shitty Texan, dude. <laughs> I love the voices of Liberty. Voices yeah. of Liberty are very good, but it, it's it, you not just hate Liberty I go, itself. I go out of my way to see. Uh, I would appreciate if they switched the song at the end to the song from Team America: World Police. Uh, America, fuck yeah! I think America, fuck yeah! What are the other words of that? I don't know. Here to save the probably something wildly offensive beyond America. Fuck yeah! Is it bad that that's the like? I don't know any pop culture, but but I know that perfectly. So S my D lick on my balls. I'm trying to be good with my trying to be good with my cussing this episode. Why? We got called out. We got called out. Do we have any negative reviews that we? That person said they weren't going to listen anymore. Oh, maybe they weren't. You're good, Ben. You know what? I'm. I apologize that I know that obviously they're talking to me. So I'm sorry. Uh, so to actually answer uh, Mary's question. So I do go to American Adventure, but I, I'd say it's at most once a trip. And if I'm going multiple times per year, which uh, well, the last couple of years have not been the case, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily go every trip if I'm going multiple times per year. Um, having said that, they did do an update fairly recently that I appreciated. I think that they did a good update to both American Adventure and Hall of Presidents recently. But those are attractions that because they're educational based, they're not going to truly drive. Because they're educational based. Yeah. Uh, that's that's ironic, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, educational I mean, based. Yes, yes. Because okay, so uh, I did like two hundred points better on the math SATs and the verbal SATs, as exemplified by many things that I've uh, said during. The I show. was the complete opposite of that. I finished like in the 99th percentile <laughs> in verbal, which you wouldn't know by listening to me on any podcast, but like the fourth percent in math. Like I basically can't even add a column of numbers together. Possibly why you're a lawyer and I'm an accountant makes sense. Exactly. So, I had some radical designs for my engineering career that couldn't take off because I couldn't add, though. Everything I built would be cool looking. Um, to, to the question on American Adventure, I don't know. I, I think for a lot of people, that's an attraction like um, like Lincoln over in Disneyland where they they would hate to see it go but don't actually go and experience it where you're going you're gonna to get protests if you take it out. Uh, but then those same people aren't necessarily experiencing the attraction, which is there. Disney paints itself into a corner a lot of times with stuff like that. Um, I, I think that continually updating the finale video is a good approach. Uh, I like that they finally put a barbecue restaurant in there. Um, that has been much overdue. Uh, it's a little on the nose, but it, it, it's, I mean, what do you what do you hit for American cuisine? So much of American cuisine is versions Pizza. of other countries' cuisine. I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, in a society that's very much against avoiding playing into stereotypes, it kind of is one. Yeah. But then again, your your, your points well taken. Like, what is American cuisine? You could branch out and go regional stuff, and you know, you could hit 
multiple different types of clam chowder in the Northeast, maybe Maryland crab cakes, uh, hit some stuff in Louisiana, Tex-Mex, that type of stuff, and just kind of have it be uh, go across the entire country. But barbecue is a more unifying uh, yeah. concept for a restaurant. So. Plus, most of the cuisines that you just mentioned are actually more attributed to other countries than right, ours. Also so. true. Also <laughs> true. Um, so, welcome really to the American Pavilion. Here's your spaghetti. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, to the point on the attraction, there's some very impressive things in that attraction. There's some great animatronics in it. Um, the mechanism that they they bring things up. Uh, onto the stage is in itself impressive. And uh, changing topics slightly, but uh, on that same vein, have either of you watched the uh, the Bourne stunt show that they introduced at Universal? Yep. This month? Part uh, of it. The, the mechanism that they're introducing live sets onto that is also fascinating to me, and I'd love to see yep. the inner workings of that as well. I watched, uh, I spent about half the time watching that, advancing it frame by frame to see where the physical <laughs> sets came in to be joined up with the lighting. It, it's really, really well done. Yeah. Like from a storytelling perspective, it's kind of corny, and the end. It's is, on par with Terminator. It's any stunt show, but the yeah technology in it is impressive to say the, the least. The first time I saw it, I was like, it was like mesmerizing. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. If yeah. any of us haven't looked looked at that yet, you should definitely Google it. There's some like 4K ones on there that are really good. So her suggestion as well, um, perhaps having Lin Manuel Miranda do something or uh, Ava DuVernay. Am I pronouncing that right? DuVernay. Uh, I have not watched the uh, Hamilton thing. Actually, I don't think it's I don't think it's on Disney Plus Just yet. July July third, I believe. Uh, <laughs> we were discussing this as well. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda explicitly said that they um, they would allow one fuck, but not three. So he literally gave two fucks to get it on Disney Plus. Is what he said, uh, <laughs> which which I thought was pretty funny because I, I thought the uh, the the play was more vulgar than that, but apparently it's not, and they yeah. got it to a PG thirteen rating which is i guess the qualifier for disney plus man when i was a kid i don't think you could get two fucks into a pg-13 movie when i was a kid that that's definitely sounds like a standard that it shifted a bit yeah except uh, airplane had uh had a topless woman in it and it was pg and that was early 80s so why what's what do you have against breasts i have nothing against breasts (laughs) I am, I am anti-coronavirus and uh, pro the female form. Pro, pro breast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'd that I'd ever replace that show, but I would I would welcome more modern enhancements of it. I think there is a little bit of redundancy with Liberty Square and yeah, the angle sure. that they took for American Adventure. Hundred percent. And I think they're using the America Gardens Theater to uh to kind of be a catch-all for some of that at least musically because they they introduced music in so many places around world showcase that i think trying to bring more modern or at least within the last 40 years music uh to the american gardens theater is an approach that they're taking but uh as for an attraction uh i don't know that we're definitely gonna get a hamilton stage show in the american gardens theater aren't we It'd be entertaining, but I don't know that you can do. Uh, I don't, just the I don't know just the that. just the music, the songs. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and, I can see I can see something like that happening, and, especially in that theater. Yeah, and with that, yeah, I, you know, after the numbers come back from when it hits Disney Plus, I'm excited to watch it. I, that's yeah. that's I haven't 
I haven't pulled up Disney Plus a whole lot since The Mandalorian uh, was over, and that's really kind of the first thing for for me, not talking about like with my kids. You know, when Onward came on, we all watched it together. But for the one thing that, I, you know, I've seen the trailer and I've sat here and go, that looks pretty awesome. I want to watch that on July 3rd when it comes out. So if they come back and they see massive streaming numbers on that, uh, definitely wouldn't shock me to see some kind of stage show in that area. Yeah, especially with the relationship with Lin-Manuel. He he is a big fan of Disney. Uh, yeah. Would I'm sure would I mean, he's probably so overextended. But if, if Disney came calling and let him develop something like that, I don't know if he'd want to do a, a temporary thing or a more permanent uh, uh, facility, like something like that as well. Because they're the last two presidential administrations have resulted in protests at the uh, Hall of Presidents. Would you guys object to putting something like that in uh, as a replacement for the Hall of Presidents? Just throwing that out there. I don't. I'm not qualified to opine on that because I don't know anything about the alternative. I mean, well, have you ever seen the Hall of Presidents? Yeah. Okay. okay. But so, what, do you, what do you talk about replacing it with? Uh, replacing it with a version of Hamilton that is yeah, that, I'm appropriate. Not, I'm not. I'm not familiar enough with that to know. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it's interesting. Just the time in the world that we're in right now, what the future of some of these historical attractions are. Not historical as in historical in the parks, but historical with the people that are in it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily touch on that here either right now. I mean, but uh, we thought say, this was a safe topic. I'll say yeah. one thing about it. Um, I can see even more than Splash Mountain. I think mm-hmm. I, I could definitely see both sides of it um, for the same reason that you know I've sort of notoriously had you edit out my political rant <laughs> yep. you, because it's Disney and it doesn't belong there. But on the other hand, there is very political, you know, they might not be, you know, viewpoint based. They're, they're trying to present a, you know, objective factual history as opposed to taking a side, but still um, there's a lot of people for whom that's a really hot button topic and right. maybe seeing it when they're in the parks sort of, uh, you know, shatters their suspension of disbelief yeah. and their escapism experience. So I, you know, on the one hand, I, I appreciate the attractions. I like them. Uh, I personally would like for young people to at least be exposed to that and they could take from it what they want, you know, just because you're hit with a message doesn't mean you have to agree with it. But I generally think that being informed is better than not. Right. Um, so I would hate to see them go, but at the same time, you know, I would understand if they didn't. When's the uh, last time either one of you did the uh, Hall of Presidents? I, uh, when it uh, shifted to the Trump version, I saw it then, and I believe one other time since then. So it's, I've seen it twice since uh, they changed it from Obama to Trump as the I, speaking s- active president. Same here. Yeah. Yeah, I go back, to, I go back to the Obama administration. I think they did a, I mean, the what you heard were uh, and it was it was again a, a loud vocal minority. You heard people objecting when Obama spoke, and you heard people objecting when Trump spoke. And Disney generally was able to quiet them down pretty quickly, or the other guests were able to quiet them down and say, "Hey, we're trying to enjoy this. This is not the appropriate place for it." As political as I will get is uh, that you should everyone should take a step back and uh, appreciate the fact that people have the freedom in this country to make statements that you actually object to because yes. imagine the alternative. So you should never object to anyone speaking. You might object to what they say, but uh, from a, it, from know. a, from a quality standpoint, they did a great job with the update when they, uh, when they put in Trump, they updated the speakers, they updated, updated the visuals. Uh, the Trump animatronic looks nothing like him, but aside from yeah. that, uh, they did a great job with that update. And 
Do you think there's any truth to that rumor that it actually was the Hillary animatronic and they just adapted <laughs> it to him? I, I kind of hope so, only because that would at least defend it's a great it. story. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but you know, I mean, you guys are bigger sports fans than I by a huge margin. It's like when there's a big championship game, obviously they print all, you know, the shirts for both teams as winning. Yep. You know, and they end up in other countries and stuff. So, do you think Imagineering did that? If if you if you're you know, in an election year like this, and you've got to think about what the next update to the attraction is. Do you sculpt both main candidates, or do you wait until the end and just do it then? If we have any listeners uh, to the show that know how long it takes to sculpt an animatronic, I imagine that that the body itself is probably done, or they, yeah. or they like they they probably even though they're different body types, they probably took <laughs> the bulk of the Obama figure and put it into uh, into Trump. And, you know, change the body type accordingly, but the, the mechanism itself is probably pretty standard for whoever the active president is, uh, just because they just need a, a more, uh, movable, uh, animatronic for it. Cause that's once actually you're in the very similar to the actual political situation. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but I think the, the sculpt itself is the thing that probably takes the most amount of time yeah. and, uh, painting I did, and all that finished work. So in one of the D23 expos, um, they did like an Imagineering meet and greet. And one of the people that I sp- got to speak with was Eric Jacobson, who's a longtime Imagineer. And I remembered, uh, I, I couldn't come up with anything that he had done. And he's worked on a ton of things. He's worked on a great movie ride. He's, uh, I, I believe, worked on a lot of M- early MGM. But uh, one of the things he had done recently was uh, he had basically camped out in Washington, D.C. for like 30 days waiting for the one-hour window that Obama gave them to record his part. And uh, huh. he was a lead Imagineer in that project, so I got to talk to him about that. And he basically explained it to me exactly as I just explained it there, that um, they were just waiting, twiddling their thumbs. Uh, Disney put them up in a D.C. hotel where they were 15 minutes away because that's about how much lead time they were going to get to get uh, you know whatever they needed. Say they needed half an hour with the president to record everything. Get an hour um, to record a half hour. That's pretty tough. Right. So like For it those was, of you who don't know, we've actually spent 40 hours recording this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but it was basically just that. Like, so they had the half an hour with the president. They had told the White House that they had so much lead time to set everything up. So they were given everything is, you know, uh, dialed down to the minute. So they knew how far away they had to be, how much lead time they had, how much setup time they had. And then at the end of all this, the president comes in to record his, you know, 45 second speech twice. And that's what they got. Um, and I, I think you can tell this with the Trump version. Uh, and I assume that they did something similar where that speech feels a little bit rushed when he, uh, when he delivers it. And it's not really consistent with some of his other, uh, other speaking thing. I mean, he speaks all the time. So, um, they they basically got what they got and that was it. That was what they uh, were able to run away with. So, do you think there'll ever come a time where Imagineering will just synthesize that? Because that's like a big thing in computer science right now is like basically, um, you know, like spearfishing where it's at, instead of being an email, it's literally a recording of someone that you know and it sounds just like them. And it's like these sure. AI mechanisms can build it just by getting minimal sound clips of you from wherever they have and then make you say anything you want. Like I can totally see how that might one day replace actual recording sessions with the... Probably. Um, it's, it's probably easier than having to yeah. have a team of Imagineers wait 30 days, set it up. Uh, now with uh, today's technology, you can you can do it 
And let's be honest, the leader of the free world probably has better things to do than record even 15 minutes out of uh, his or her day for Disney. Like they could just as easily say, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. They don't, there's, there's no reason, there's no obligation for them to satisfy a Disney tradition. So um, saying no is a good way to make sure that Bobcat Goldwaith ends up recording your speech in Hall of Presidents, <laughs> though. That'll teach you. And now, President Gilbert Godfrey. I want to move away from that one. Uh, we Dig Parks asks Josh specifically, I think, uh, Josh, I think there will be an audience for an Air Disasters podcast. Uh, we, we have a recommendation as well. Uh, try Inside the Black Box. I also encourage our listeners to be careful with search <laughs> engines. They yeah, Google that. Google that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, let, let's, let me just uh, restate what I just said. Be careful of what search engines you Google that on. Yeah. <laughs> There's some successful marketing for you. Good work, Tim. Uh, yeah, I would... I would, I consider all of the podcasts I'm on to basically be a disaster. So does, I don't know if that fulfills its requirement. Yeah, I mean, I, I studying air accidents and accidents in the nuclear industry is what I spent the majority of my free time in my adult life doing. Uh, sort of formed the basis of my career. So uh, I'm a huge scholar of aviation accidents. I, I'd I'll talk about that with pretty much anybody anytime. So I'm not sure it fits totally into the armchair imagineering uh, genre, but. Uh, yeah, I suppose we could do a spinoff at some point. Uh, perhaps, yeah, that's going to be the uh, bonus B-sides of Marty called. <laughs> Last question, unless there was more on Facebook. Uh, this one comes to us again from Kofma uh, Zero. Given the fact that the company is actively trying to keep the number of guests down, what are some unique ways Disney could use to re- to repeal fans? I assume it means repel, <laughs> i.e. Uh, replacing Madame Leota in the seance room with Walt's frozen head. Uh, so what can we what can we do to deter guests from coming? Raise the price. That's exactly what <laughs> there's, one, there's only one answer to this question that deserves any attention whatsoever. And quite frankly, I think that, and I mentioned price elasticity a couple episodes ago, I think even Disney is shocked um, by how insensitive to price changes their average consumer seems to be, because obviously they've been using price to, uh, at least it's obvious to me, or it, it could be wrong, but it's apparent to me that what they're trying to do is, you know, load balance the parks and make sure that they're not over capacity by extracting the maximum amount of revenue they can out of each person, um, you know, instead of trying to increase their volume. And they've been jacking the price up year after year after year. And based on the attendance numbers, it seems that it isn't working. So, yeah, I think that it's a crazy scenario to think about as a business operator, and it's a wonderful problem to have. But I think if you are Disney management right now and you have more than ever a limited amount of supply, because basically your supply got cut by a substantial percentage because of the social distancing, how do you what do you change in order to try and get the same revenue out of a much smaller number of guests? And I don't think you can land on anywhere other than the only two things you can do are cut costs, which is going to be somewhat difficult for Disney theme parks because there's so much fixed operating costs there that doesn't go away uh, when you scale things back. You have some you know, variable costs there like staffing and stuff, but so much of their expenses is going to be there the whole time. So the only way that they can approximate the revenue they had when they were operating a hundred percent capacity is to charge more to all the people that actually show up. So that's my answer. I think you took this question a little too seriously. Uh, the answer is put frozen everywhere. I think that's the approach that, uh, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's looking for funny things. And, uh, well, oh, well, what you did, that diatribe you just went on was, was hilarious. Don't get me wrong. Uh, 
Well, damn it. Can you edit that out? Can you do the fast forward thing on that? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're keeping nope. that in. So that way we can make fun of you. Uh, his suggestion was replacing Madame Leota in the seance room with Walt's frozen head. I think any uh, Eddie Murphy level of uh, overhaul to Haunted Mansion would be appropriate, much like Steve Gutenberg going into Tower of Terror. By the uh, way, if Walt's frozen head were in the Madame Leota scene, that would be absolutely awesome. Do we know that's not Walt's frozen head? I'm pretty sure Walt wasn't a chick. Wigs. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say put Tim in the Hall of Presidents and he does a word for word reciting of his Japan trip report from the e ticket report. <laughs> that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Long attractions are in now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, that, that's kind of something we can open up to our, uh, to our listeners. So perhaps uh, on our Facebook page when we post this show, uh, give up some ideas of ways to ruin the parks. I think that's what uh, 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 listener character is. injection. <laughs> character injection where it doesn't belong yep. uh, Moana and Spaceship Earth uh, basically everything that has crossed Bob Chapek's uh, uh, rubber approved stamp uh, desk I think that's that's yeah, what we gotta do I, I was gonna just look at pretty much anything they've done to Epcot in the last 14-15 years <laughs> yeah yeah if, if you were to ask that question 15 years ago they have done some of those things <laughs> <laughs> I think that is going to wrap this show. Uh, if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username Mar- at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. Use that link as your starting point for all of your um, 4th of July purchases and we get a cut. doesn't cost you anything but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben, and you can find my top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, same question. Uh, utilidors.com, two O's, second O's for savings. And I just had to renew that domain name yesterday, so go buy some shirts and decals for me. I make 20 cents a pop on those. Got to <laughs> recoup that domain registration. <laughs> and you can find me at WDW Theme Parks. Uh, and www.themeparks.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Good night. Love you. Skipper Ben, how you doing, Ben? Throw out all the show notes. As of four minutes ago, breaking news, the players in the MLB PA have formed an agreement. Baseball is back. Teams will report on July 1st. Josh, what do you think of this 60-game quicken season? God, I hear something, but I don't know what it is. It's just irritating, <laughs> like nails on a chalkboard. 
Can we do that yeah. intro over again? <laughs> I did not mean to do that. <laughs> Dang, gummit! I, I can't trust Ben on an Epcot episode.